Here we are, Stardate 41249.3. Never thought I'd get back, but damn, it's good to be back in the beta renner system. Much better than the alpha renner system. That's the second worst renner. Here we are on a diplomatic transport mission, playing diplomats to the diplomats, when unseen maliciousness causes it all to go awry. Welcome to Engage, my crewmates, where Gen X TNG fans revisit the series, the times, the stuff connected to that by the thinnest of gossamer tangents. I'm joined today by the great Kate Yeager, among other friendly luminaries. How are you doing, Kate? I'm wonderful. How are you, Eric? Ah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being me. Uh, what were your initial <laughs> thoughts about the episode? What was the first thing that hit you when you saw the credits roll on this one? Uh, first thing that oh, I thought, I remember none of this. Uh, this, this. This episode hit me all afresh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, we'll, get, we'll get to it. Jimmy, Jimmy G, what you drinking? I am drinking Modelo Especial. Ooh, it's very special. Oh, classic, classic. Well done. Mm -hmm. And uh, Greg Tito rounds out the panel for tonight. How are you, Greg? What's up? Doing good. Excited to talk about different sci-fi races that are strange and weird and do weird things. Yeah, and we have direct comps to friendly and snuggly animals as well as distant reptilian cold-blooded beasts. It'll be great. Um I think we should talk a little bit about, as we are wont to, uh, the episode itself. Before we get into the uh, plot, let's talk about uh, where we're going with it. It is Lonely Among Us, the sixth or seventh, again, depending on who you're talking to, episode uh, of the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. The teleplay was by DC Fontana, a name we've come to know well over the last uh, several episodes. Off, off a story by Michael Halperin, who definitely had a different approach to it, uh, including, among other things, the slingshot effect, which could have uh, had us uh, revisiting a, a classic Star Trek trope. Um, but instead, we get a pretty good uh, bottle episode, right? A, an episode where we never leave the Enterprise, uh, the first one in the series uh, to, to be done that way. Um, it's directed by Cliff Bowl. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, guest stars as we get into the discussion of the episode. Um, what what do you guys uh, have memories about uh, this this month in particular? I did a little bit of research, and the only thing I could really find about November second, uh, nineteen eighty seven, when it first broadcast, was George Harrison released the Cloud Nine album. Oh. Fantastic, fantastic album. This this song is just six words long. That's what I remember the most from that album was Weird Al Yankovic's right. parody of... Uh... Uh, totally. That was a terrific one. I, I remember When We when we Was Fab is a terrific uh, song on that album. But I we took a family um, train trip uh, that, that holiday season to Chicago from Kansas City. And I listened to that album and a couple other ones, like I think the the Breathe album. Do you remember them? Mm. Uh, Breathe. I loved Breathe. That time that uh, yeah yeah. I so I listened to kind of those two albums back to back for thirteen hours or some shit Gosh. on a train from Kansas City to Chicago. So that the, you know, I like the whole album in addition to the Weird Al version. That'll make a mark on your on your psyche for sure. <laughs> It will, but do we can talk about what the number one song of the time was uh, that week, which was, of course, I Think We're Alone Now, the cover by Tiffany. Yes. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. I think we're, we're alone, alone now. now. The beating of my heart is the only sound. That oh my song God. still slaps to this day. Like, I will put it on and I will rock out to it. Uh, Billy Joel and his sons. Billy Joel, the the Green Day punk guy, however his name is, is it Joel? Joe. Billy Joe. Joe. Billy, Billy Joe. Joel is a totally different artist. Billy Joe and his sons do a great uh, rendition of that on. They have a YouTube video. Uh, 1987. We're talking more. Beverly Hills Cop Two was the number one movie in the yeah. nation, and I must have seen that a thousand times one summer on HBO. I have this memory of being in a like a youth theater group and we performed. This is my first performance I've ever done. I was probably like nine years old because 
that was the time. I was an Oompa Loompa <laughs> in uh, Willy Wonka <laughs> and the Chocolate Factory. And we went back to the director, who was like a high school girl. Uh, uh, we went back to her house for our cast party. And I remember distinctly that Beverly Hills Cop 2 was on in the background and there were boobs. And I was very much like, what's happening? I don't know, but I feel real old right now, drinking my soda pop and eating this popcorn at 7 p.m. That's my connection to Beverly Hills Cop 2. that's (laughs) amazing. I like that connection. Kate, did you were you into the films of Eddie Murphy in those 80s? I'm not in the 80s because I wasn't allowed to watch them. Mm. They were all too of the rated R persuasion for, sure. for me. Uh, so I appreciated them later in life. But I have to say, I don't I, it's been a, it's been a hot minute since I've seen any of those films. And I don't have the childhood experience of having boobs imprinted on me. So I don't. <laughs> they were of an era for sure. Like that was definitely felt more 80s than anything to me uh, because it was that like Eddie Murphy raw, uh, you know, SNL energy with this idea that like, oh, no, he's going to be the biggest. And he was at the time one of the biggest Hollywood stars uh, who made that transition from TV to movies. And that was so rare back the then. The fact that Ed- Eddie Murphy went on to become most well known for at least to this current generation uh, as a children's performer is so beyond me like because he was just the epitome of what I was not allowed to watch during that time period Uh, so dirty and and now you know everybody knows him as Donkey and and Dr. Doolittle and it's crazy you're right sure I I was watching them at the time because I I don't know about if it was just my group of friends or if it was just a certain laxness in the Midwest. But if you had sleepovers, the parents never paid attention to what you watched. So Mm -hmm. that's when we watched the very rated R stuff and the Eddie Murphy stuff and, uh, you know, the, uh, fatal attraction, which was the number two movie at the box office at this point. Like that's, that's when we watched those movies. Uh, so I, I was seeing them at the time. Yeah, I, I saw like Raw and his other stand-up things like when I was a little bit older at uh, at similar situations, at sleepovers and stuff. I saw it in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> in Germany? They played it in Germany? Yeah, saw That's... it at the, at the theater with all my buddies. Uh, the, the only other things that I have to say, because the, the, the nation was still obsessed with, uh, and rightly so, with black... Uh, Monday, right? So mm. this is just a week later, and um, that's that's basically what was still in the news. All right, let's talk about this wonderful episode, shall we? Let's do, do it. Did you guys remember this coming in, or was it a big surprise watching it? Just one surprise after another. Oh my god, the lizards! Oh my god, the dogs! And then you go back and forth. And then there's the Sherlock Holmes. This one was a surprise to me. I had not retained much of this episode, I think, until it got to Sherlock Holmes. And then I was like, oh, right. Uh, but but a lot of it was new to me. Um, the wanton uh, disregard for ship rules that was happening from the visiting dignitaries. <laughs> it was all just a, a menagerie of delight for me. Well, and how little it seemed to bother any of the people actually in Starfleet, which I found to be interesting as well. What about you, Greg? Anything jump out as you rewatched right off the bat? Off the bat, it was these two cultures uh, having such a contrast. Uh, and they the felt... The Anticans and the Selae. And the Selae, yes, exactly. They were yes. two... I mean, you don't... We were talking about this in one of our earlier episodes, how there's a world is always presented or a culture is always presented as like mono. Like they're all like this way. And this was one where there was some duality and their identity was really defined by their relationship to each other. And I found that really, really interesting and outside the norm of Star Trek. Well, it, they allowed themselves to have the duality because it's two planets in one system. Yes. So one planet was all this and one planet was all the lizard people. And then they had to keep so going to Parliament did. Funkadelic to smoke uh, cigarettes, I think. That's <laughs> over what they were. and over again, just to make it all good. Jimmy, what about you? Was this was this one kind of a surprise or had, had you had memory stuck with this one before? Uh, I had not had any memory stuck. I'm curious to see when the episodes do start coming back to me like, oh yeah, I clearly remember this. 
this totally was brand new watching it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of great because, again, we get the, the Star Trek trope of humans mediate conflict between aliens and energy being loose on ship. Like those two things. <laughs> that old, that old guy. Those Come back again. And when I was doing uh, reading around on reviews of it, I came across a great uh, line that I want to share. Was and it, it's this: treat other cultures with respect. Don't be Soleil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You got you got any attribution there? I mean, just. We'll, we'll we'll say it's anonymous. <laughs> uh, no, it's from Den of Geeks. Well so done, Den it's, of Geeks. It's about I don't know, fifteen years old already because it was wow. back in two thousand and five ish. So who knows what they're right, doing? Right when this days. was already a period piece. Looking back on it, right, right, right. So talk to me about this episode. Watching it uh, right away, we get the two. Uh, alien species are about to join the ship, right? No one seems worried, but no one has met these people before. And I will say we have official uniforms that we have never seen before, so we yes. know that this oh, is yeah. important. The dresses. This Absolutely. Is, this right. is a very fashion-forward episode for me. I will be throwing in a lot of fashion for this episode, but this dress uniform at the beginning, sort of the, uh, I guess, ambassadorial tunics that they are wearing sort right. of set the stage for the fact that this is going to be important it right. has a feel of that red um stormtrooper uh uh cardinal looking uniform from return of the jedi that, that mm. uh, accompanied the emperor yeah i don't uh, i don't me. i don't have as many clear memories of this episode but i do remember that seeing those dress uniforms was a shock to me as a young kid mm-hmm. just being like what what are they doing? Why are they wearing that? It's so strange. Is that? And then having to put together and have someone explain to me like, oh no, this is the special occasion. Uh, diplomats are here so that you must wear something more ridiculous than the uniform you already have. Uh, and supposedly those were modeled after uh, 18th century British naval officer uniforms. Ooh. Oh, tally-ho. <laughs> Beautifully boxy, just like they're supposed to be. And I was thinking of that, actually, Jimmy, while I was watching it, is uh, I wondered if you had anything uh, to add to it, but I was thinking of military uniforms, and initially I'm like, well, they don't change very often. Then I'm like, well, of course, they change like every every day. <laughs> and But we can identify, you know, period pieces every time we watch any of these by the military uniforms as, as easily as we can by anything else. Like, we know what the U.S. uniform looked like as right. people who grew up in the U.S. at every war period. So it makes sense. Right. And the dress <clears> greens... Uh, different look. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, growing up in the military, I remember the uh, olive drab, they called them, uh, and that was sort of the tannish color uniform. Um, and then, but mainly, my dad wore straight greens and... I clearly remember when that switched to all you saw were these greens. That's sort of like uh, what um, Captain America wears when they go back to the the fifties or whatever when mm. when he was in uh, boot camp, uh, and then they went to the BDUs, which is the camouflage. Like, and then that became right. ubiquitous, and everybody wore it till you know. And then the only time it changed then is like, do you have jungle fatigues? Do you have desert fatigues? You know, and that kind of lets you know where this guy is going and what he's doing. And do you mean in reality or do you yeah, mean reality. This was and, No, this yeah, was yeah. growing up on military bases. It went from everybody wore these oh, no, green definitely. uniforms to camouflage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and like you're saying, it. Yeah. it felt like overnight. Yeah, it was like one day, boom, everybody's wearing this new kind of uniform. And, and I don't know if that had something to do with some politics of, all right, we're done with, we're going in a different direction on who our enemies are now. Oh, I'm sure it started in Brooklyn. (laughs) These guys look great. And you can hardly see them. Fleet week. (laughs) Well, okay, so from from there, we all go down to the transporter room again, right? And again, we do not have Miles O'Brien behind the transport. No. No. But we do see security officer this time. Yes. I mean, they're they're looking for the right place for him. He's like, uh, you know, a Spielberg guy. 
uh, an actor that Spielberg really likes. He can't quite tell how he's going to use him, so they pop up with three lines in the first ten <laughs> movies somewhere else. Like, he's a general in this one, he's a fisherman in this one, he's, you know... That, that's who Miles O'Brien is right now. Somebody was, really dug in. Yeah, I was going to say it was like the Greg Grunberg of the that cast, uh, where they're always trying to find something for him. Because he just can't help it. He's so adorable. I think he's like you the Creed. You want to find a place. He's like the Creed from The yeah. Office. Where they're like, all right, finally, he's a regular. We can, we can tell stories around this guy. Right, starts out as extra, moves his way out. Yeah, I yeah. like that. And it's still, we're still two or three years away from where he has his three lines or four lines in the second Die Hard movie. So that's something to look forward to for all of us. Can't wait. Can't wait for that one. I'll be able to rewatch that movie. But only one season to where he's actually named as uh, O'Brien, Transporter Chief Ensign O'Brien. Because it's in season two, I think, where he gets his official introduction. Yeah, he doesn't is have he, a name. Is he ensign? I thought I thought chief was his actual rank that he was transporter chief O'Brien. But oh, he might be transporter I have, chief. I have no idea if the, what those words mean. Don't look <laughs> oh, it up. You're killing me, Jimmy. You're killing me. <laughs> we're not looking it up. Well, while we're talking about rank and whatnot, there is certainly like the first mutiny in this episode. Attempt. They go right to that word. All right, right? so. We're going to jump a little further in the episode yeah, here. Yeah, that's this near Greg the is, end. <laughs> but Greg is talking about, oh, we don't... We don't that doesn't matter, it's fine. Right. Up in here. right. No, Data so brings it up. The, the moment <laughs> Picard does his little switch into suave, I don't care, Picard, right. they go into the meeting with the upper-level staff, and like the first word Data says is, oh, so mutiny is what we're talking about, is that right? I just want to, <laughs> I just want to clarify. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about. It, You know, I mean, he'd right. want us to talk about it. That's clearly not him. He, he, <laughs> he, he crossed his leg and shrugged a little bit, guys. This ain't the same guy. Yeah. Right? Well, no, well, hold on. Now, now we need to sort of juxtapose from the very first uh, possession, which is Worf and then Crusher, um, because both of them act a little strange. Beverly especially acts well outside the norm and, and very suspiciously. Uh, and this isn't the first episode where we've seen characters not act like themselves and it's mm-hmm. happened enough already, six episodes in, that everybody, as soon as they see something suspicious, like hopping out of your chair, like, okay, something's going on. We don't screw around with this. When people act different, Something is going on. <laughs> well, Jimmy, is it possible that the writers are trying to clue us in on who these characters really are by who really are by first eliminating all of the other possibilities? <laughs> the stuff they wouldn't do, <laughs> right? And that way, we can really zero in on what's happening. What do you think, Kate? Is this another way uh, to distract us from who these guys are supposed to be? Is it too early? Uh, all I know is that I am obsessed with scenes where actors have to play possessed entities. Uh, I think it is such an incredible acting challenge uh, because a lot of it depends on how well they're able to disguise that and how much they're supposed to disguise that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, I think I believe it is you who uh, is a fan of talking about... Um, actors uh or sorry characters uh are defined often by times by how well they lie on stage um, oh a thousand percent especially if the audience knows it's a lie you get to decide how good the liar is it's right wonderful. exactly exactly and this is one of those moments where we as audience are watching and we know that this person is in an altered state so seeing how well they they ride that line and i think uh you know i think they do a great job i i i live for picard in this altered state and i think gates does a great job too i i just it's fascinating to watch I, I'm so happy to hear you say that because rewatching this, all I could think about was I hope they agree with me that these people are going absolutely perfectly, like not too far, not too uh, subtle. You know, it feels like they can hear the music in their heads and they know how much help the music is going to give them. Hmm. So they mostly can play it straight with just the smallest of interior winks to us. Yeah. That there's anything different. They're not and, doing anything uh, like the I Ferengi. With, they're not like, I'm acting strange or weird. It's just, I'm. it's a little bit off. It's a little bit, you know, right. it's, oh, mom doesn't usually pay attention to my school projects. What does this mean? You know, and, and right. a little small, you know, oh, he doesn't have a second cup of coffee at home. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> you know? Well, 
Before I forget, ahead, I want to jump into what Greg had just said because when the the moment Wesley said, "Oh, you never asked me about that," or "You never seemed interested," it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, what if Beverly Crusher's a bad mom? This <laughs> is an amazing storyline. This yeah. is a fantastic yeah. subplot that she's not a bad person, but she's a highly successful doctor on the right, flagship right. of the of the Starfleet, and she's not giving her really brilliant son who can't take care of himself a whole lot of attention. And this has a lot to do with Wesley is who he is, and you know they sure. immediately abandon that. I mean, in fact, they they never addressed it. It was just a cutesy line, but like it hit me it was like, oh. Beverly Crusher's a bad mom. This is amazing. You're right. The screenwriters out there dropping little hints that the other screenwriters are just like, oh, I leave those guys out there. Who cares? (laughs) Moving forward, I won't pick up that one. I'll pick up this other one and I'll name this character something different and bring it (laughs) all together. It's the great thing about serials, right? Uh, Uh, Go ahead, Kate. I was going to say, Beverly has two of my favorite outfits in this episode. Mm. Uh, There's one moment where she wears what I call Beverly's hat of medicine. And it's like this half skull cap kind of a contraption that then has sort of a almost like a computer screen in front of her or like a magnify. It's so sciencey. And so and over the top. And it never comes back. And it never comes back. And it's just beautiful. And it's just such it a hat right. of medicine. My favorite part of that I'm, is, though, is that when she's possessed, the first action she does is try to manipulate a prop that the actor is clearly frustrated by. She's <laughs> yeah. trying to open it up, right. and it doesn't quite open the way it's supposed to. And she gets a little bit annoyed. But it's you could tell, oh, maybe it's just the entity that is now inside her that is trying to figure out how well, to deal with props. In In both theater and film like the more facile you are with a prop and the more it's possible that you've done all of this on purpose the more the game is fun so like i personally love playing with props as much as i possibly can and then if something goes wrong the audience might think it's on purpose at which point it's funnier Mm. do you know like if i can take credit for it in a subtle way i will (laughs) And then the audience trusts me for the next laugh, you know, and you see some of that with data. Data uses a lot of props. You see some of that with, uh, uh, you know, some of the more comedic uh, characters throughout this series. Do you think that's what Gates McFadden was doing with this? She was like, I'm just going to make it obvious that I dislike this prop. (laughs) I think at some point you kind of give up and you're like, either the character is really dealing with it or they're going to use a different take. Yeah, and I think right. especially in, in in film or TV, that's kind of where a lot of actors go, and they're like, "Just fuck it, like this is annoying, so it's going to be annoying." Speaking of props, that beautiful pipe when it comes out with Data, uh, I just oh, live yeah. for it. It's just the most beautiful moment, and the way he he chomps on it uh, is just so satisfying. Yet another just moment of comedic physical brilliance. By Brent Spiner. But I love Picard's 100%. line. 100%. Picard's and line, too, is go- so good, where he's like, ah, I think we can do without the, the, the pipe for the rest of this meeting. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like a little right. dog getting hit on the nose by a right. the newspaper. And then we get the brilliant thing. <laughs> for whatever reason, in the 23rd century, you can still hear the water in the aqua tank, in the, the ah, fish's tank, only so that he can turn around and use his magnifying glass. The magnifying glass. A thousand percent. What could have made that sound? (laughs) I wanted to go back to a couple of things that Kate and Greg had said earlier. And one of those is, uh, Kate, I'm also obsessed with people being possessed in films and TV and anything like that. And anything we ever watch that's a mystery or that is a science fiction show plays on that somewhere, you know, in in the big ones like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers or uh, Terminator kind of any, anything you can think of yeah even Terminator things like that then you, then you get Dr. Crusher gets possessed and she gets to have one of those dream lines that all of us want to get to say at some point someone says are you doing alright and because you are possessed you have to make them believe the following words yes oh yes I'm fine <laughs> That's just a dream. Yes. You want to do that scene sometime. I want to do that scene sometime. Am I right? Yes. A thousand percent yes. Agreed. 
there's another and then and then Greg was talking about kind of the the overall vibe of the of the episode being like that and I wanted to say that it's it reminded me of some weird bizarre mix of an Agatha Christie type uh, mystery or Tanana Reeve do you know mm. a, a really dark mystery uh, on top of this uh, ancient foreboding feeling so that you get this uh, you know Sherlock Holmes by way of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, you know, <laughs> and it's it's super cool. It, it's it's different than what I expect from early Star Trek the next Star Trek the Next Generation. I expect this more season seven. Yeah, I, I the structure of this episode is actually really amazing, right? Because there's there's three plots kind of. There's the the whole diplomacy plot and how they have to get to this uh, planet. There's the right. there's the the cloud and the mystery of that. And then there's the the for so, I'm not, it's not really a whole plot, but the whole Sherlock Holmes bit feels larger than just a joke, right? Like it feels like it's setting up something for the future, which we now you know we know in hindsight that it kind of is. Like there's a fascination with it, kind of is. You know, that's the yeah. first time private eyes are mentioned, and then then we get to the Dixon Hill episodes later in this uh, season, and you know right. how it all kind of spins up from there. Uh, it's very fascinating. Um, so yeah, it's but it's also very simple. Like the actual plot is pretty simple. They go from point A to point B, and in the in the process of that, they pick up a, a passenger. And then they're trying to figure out what that where that passenger is, and then they bring him back, you know, to his home, uh, and and do it that way. It almost feels like a um, Mad Max Fury Road when you actually think about the plot. You're like, oh, they just go in one way, and then they go back the other way, and that's all they do. And that's that's exactly what this episode is like too. Right, and how many of the things were distractions from that one little central thing? What do you think, Kate? Uh, I- I actually got distracted by my own train of thought, which happens a lot. <laughs> I think the writers did in this well, one too. I, I, <laughs> I, I agree with you, Greg. I think it's an interesting thing for for this show, which is which is at its heart a serial like Wagon Train, right? Yeah. It has the same characters, but a slightly different adventure in the slightly similar format every week. And that's what it was supposed to be in the 60s. And that's what it's reimagined to be now. Like now it's much more, we know these characters. We want one week to lead to the next, to lead to the next. And at the end of a season, I have a story. Whereas back then, at least initially, it tried to be what the original series was, which is repeated villains, but not long story arcs. Nothing like that. That came later in this series. Um, and that's one of the cool things about this episode is it stands out on its own in a way that uh, that a lot of those early ones don't. But but you know you don't you can lift the plot of those two alien races out of this and it's the same episode just without as much funny. Correct. You know, without as much ridiculous shit. Without Riker walking through the middle of a murder plot and just kind of sh- lightly shrugging and go, "Will someone get these kids out of the hall?" <laughs> And you're going, okay, I'll accept that. I guess that that's happening on an actual warship. And the two and aliens are acting like they're their head. like they got caught at camp. Like they like they feel like, oh man, Riker, come on, we were totally yeah, gonna toilet paper. Adam's family values. Yeah. There's a beautiful soap opera acting moment talking about like hoping that you get these lines as an actor because you can do whatever you want with them. Uh, it's when they're they're getting a talking to one of one of the ambassadors about um, their shenanigans on the ship. And he basically says, uh, we, we, we won't start the violence on the ship. And then he goes away and the door closes and he has this, but we will finish it line. And it's just, and then the music <laughs> swells and it's just <laughs> so. The bottom it, lip barely moves. Oh. Uh, right. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the makeup, shall we? Like the makeup was was special in this, kind of all the way through. The makeup was yeah. special, and it was it was what on one hand it was fan it was fantastic to see aliens and not yes. humans with big foreheads. <laughs> so it was cool to see real aliens, but especially the Anakin's. I mean, it was one step above <laughs> what you can get at Party City right now. For Halloween, like it, it really is just a plastic mask that you cover. Yeah. And like the mouth doesn't move. 
At least, and, though, they had if, sharp teeth, though, Jimmy, and they were meat eaters, so it made sense, right? Because, well, all aliens have sharp teeth. But right. these ones specifically to find... wanted to kill their 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 prey and eat oh, it. They right. had it. So yeah, like it was... you have to have some sort of articulation, and we expect that the articulation of the aliens would progress at a similar rate from, say, Land of the Lost to <laughs> the Next Generation as the camera stuff did. And right. when the camera stuff got so much better. And the it aliens did not. did not. It was a little. It's a little jarring to look in the eyes of these guys and see, you know, right. the, the skin of the actor underneath just clearly lit. <laughs> and you're just kind of going, "Oh, we're we're Doctor Who in the '60s now. Like we ha- we're, we haven't progressed from there." They were lit, Eric. They were. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kids were lit. Just like mine. It is funny though when they do mention the uh, the meat and and how disgusted the Antikins are with the the idea of replicated meat. Uh, upon rewatching, you realize that that was set up for the end of this episode, the climax of this episode. The fact that they create material from a pattern, and I thought that was pretty genius by the writer DC Fontana to put that in you know, bury it in a subplot that is, you know, full of the uh, comic relief, as we were saying, but it actually is vital information for, you know, the, the, what the sciencey stuff that happens at the climax. I didn't catch Absolutely. that. You're so smart. Oh my God. <laughs> that was a writery well, thing. And, and it's, you know, they, they put in some actual topical political stuff like mm. the vegetarian versus versus media stuff was topical then is topical now do they say the soleil are vegetarians no the 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 starfleet is do you know it's non-organic even it's further than they they say we no longer enslave animals oh so this is like the prototype to uh the impossible burger yeah yeah but they replicate it from it's still meat it's just made from a transporter it's not uh right you know actual well but they yeah they say replicated from inorganic sources i'm like Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, the best it's of both worlds. Fuck with plants. Yeah. Can we talk about though how little our Starfleet officers give a shit about the actual <laughs> diplomatic mis- mission that they oh, are right. on? Right. And yeah. And the amount of things that go. I mean, we've talked a little bit about Riker being like, "You guys," but <laughs> but there's there's a flat out moment. Uh, Jimmy, I think I think you were talking about this where. Uh, they they flat out come in and say, uh, "Oh yes, one of the delegates has been killed, and they're trying to eat him." Oh yeah, well that's a very that's the very last the very scene. End. But I mean, before we get to that, because I I want to unpack that. I even I I transcribed that scene, and I want to read the words out loud. You're gonna perform so that, it for us. Excellent. So we really get a sense of how ridiculous I love it, it is. I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but but. Just to get to to that point, like one, the plots that are in there, I don't think are fantastic. They're about as bottom level as you can get. Uh, they introduce one plot that they totally abandoned until the end, when we have a, a, a absurd ending. Um, and absolutely, and part of that is our friend DC Fontana. She sort of took over the writing from Halpern, who provided the basic storyline. Um, but in his storyline, the subplot had nothing to do with the diplomatic mission. It was the breakdown of dilithium crystals, and that's how they became stranded, which they couldn't have known this, but that would have absolutely played perfectly into what's happening now on Star Trek Discovery. Because um, dilithium is a big deal and what happens to dilithium. So it would have been an immediate jump. Uh yeah, how dare they uh, not figure right. out 30 A lucky hamstance, it could have been. I thought they had anyways, a time machine. I thought that was the whole point of it. Anyways, yeah. uh, Fontana's the one who um, inserted the diplomatic mission. And, of course, she was nodding to her own writing back in the original series, uh, Journey to Babel, where they had a diplomatic mission and they were at each other's throats. Uh, so she was just sort of, you know, taking something that was tried and true and introducing it again. But it was never given any substance because they treated these guys very much the way they did the Ferengi when we first met them. It was like, you're the comedy relief. We're going to have some serious stuff over here. You are the ones that we're going to, you know, have some yucks and make everything feel okay. Except that 
these people are trying to kill each other, these these species, so it's not really comedic. Uh, and then at the very end, as we talked about, um, it ends with possibly murder and, in, in, you know, supposed anticipated cannibalism. I think, I, I think the murder is confirmed. Yes. They have a body in a bag that is reptilian, right? Right. And uh, given... Think, Kate, have they eaten half of it and then take it to the cook? I'd, I'd, you know, have a little priest. Like, it's just, who, who knows what meat pie they were they were served. It's just, the, it's, it's more to me, it's not so much that the murder happened, it's the utter lack of regard... Yes. That is given yeah. to it. Yes. Just yes. When, zero when fucks they tell, given. They go, they go right to fake Picard, right? And they say, hey, fake Picard. These No, it's no. after Picard has come back. Yeah, Picard has come say, back. Hey, hey, newly restored Picard. Uh, we got a problem. These two, uh, they've been trying to kill each other, and one of them's missing, no. and the other one has a body. That we have to back it up. Eric, we have, chef. Eric, please, we have to back it up. We have to back it up. All right, give me it. Give me it. Give Tasha me comes in as Picard and Riker are speaking. She interrupts and says, "Sorry, sir, but right, when we found blood outside of the Antican room, and one of the Soleil are missing, uh, and the Anticans gave <laughs> something to the chef, and we're pretty sure it's the missing delegate." To which Riker yeah, interjects on saying. her and says, "Couldn't this have waited a moment?" <laughs> Yeah, this guy just got up from a nap. <laughs> Couldn't this have waited a moment? And then Picard <laughs> says he's got to go take a nap. He's like, you know what? Yeah. You take care of this. And then and then it cuts to Riker looking at Troy. Troy giving a little smirk like, you're going to have to deal with this one, buddy. <laughs> and it has, it literally the has a comedic. Yeah. Do, 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 do. I mean, they should have just jumped up in the air and froze with big smiles on their faces like it was as the credits buddies. roll because it was absolutely disconnected from the, the material they had just presented to us. I feel like that was a rewrite. I feel like that was an onset rewrite where like the stinger that we wrote isn't working. Let's just button this up with a uh, uh, comedic bit. You know, almost like you were saying, like like oh, maybe they won't even use this take, but we'll just kind of do it, and they end up using it. <laughs> used it, it. <laughs> it feels so disjointed from what the rest of the episode is about. Honestly, I have to confess to being a little confused by the third act when mm. All right. once Picard is possessed, uh, or or you know the entity has has taken over. There's this duality, right, where they're talking to the entity, but they sort of establish that Picard is still there in some form. And and then it seems to be laid out as a mutual decision by the entity and Picard that we're going to deuce out together and that Picard is totally on board with this in whatever capacity he is able to be and it isn't until he gets out there that they're, that it's like oh oh shit that didn't work I guess we better f- save him but otherwise this was his plan I'm so sorry what happened at the end but they don't really <laughs> save him right they recreate no, him. Picard is gone forever. No, okay, Here, that's this. okay. This is the other exactly, thing. Exactly, Greg. Go ahead. The, what were you about to say? They beam him back based on the backup data they had in the transporter, and so he's he's yes. Picard, but he's what he was before he was so, possessed. Give me a, give me a quick yes or no. Is the actual Captain Picard dead? And this is a new, improved. The illusionist Hugh Jackman Picard. Yes. yes or no? Is he dead, Greg? He is dead. But does that Jimmy, matter? Is he dead? I would have went with prestige. No, he is not dead. That's what I meant. The prestige. <laughs> <laughs> he is not dead. All right, Kate. Is he prestige dead? Uh, uh no. I don't know. I don't know. Based on the rules of All what right. was established, I think he's. I think he's prestige dead, and this is a brand new person with brand new rights and memories. And if uh, if they want to make three more of him, they can. That's I, I want to know why yeah. energy only is an option in the first right. place. You this might seems accidentally. Like a yeah. Oh shit! Energy only idea. <laughs> Not again. Yeah. 
Is it a is this an actual toggle switch with a little shield on top of it? There better be. No, because they're all flat glass panels. So there's no like live this in case in case of energy transmission. Right, right. Like Riker loves to do. Like a centipede roller, like a dimmer switch, or golden tea. Come on. But what? Yeah. I mean, these are some of the things that show up in uh, Star Trek Picard is what is consciousness? What is personhood? Does personhood oh, transfer man. from being a you know bunch of bits in a positronic brain to another body that's completely that different? Is it is it still the same person? I think that's what this want is to watch Picard. It's all no. in. <laughs> <laughs> because I think Picard gets replaced. I think his body is completely replaced, and they have I a new too. meat body that has his consciousness and his soul in it. But yep. it's it's you know no offense, new meat body Picard. <laughs> but but is it the consciousness that is truly the essence of humanity? Because in that instance, you know that that's what it's still the same Picard. It's just a new meat suit. Then if they did the same thing with another one, would that also be still the same Picard? And is this but cloning? They took, his, they took his inner... They they had to find... He had to get his energy source back into the transporter room But the only outside. memories that were in it were the ones that were in the transporter signal, not the ones that were outside. He, he lost all those back to the... the it's true. He couldn't remember anything the, the when he was possessed. he was stored. Yeah. And he's like, I need a nap. So every time you transport, <laughs> are you really just becoming a different person? Well, that's what DeForest Kelly. I mean, uh, that's what didn't Willie, Bones was all didn't about. Willy Wonka, didn't Willy Wonka answer this for us already? Oh, he did. Like thousands of years ago. Good day, sir. No. <laughs> what no. did he say? <laughs> no, he didn't. I'm looking at my Willy Wonka <laughs> poster. I'm looking at my I'm Willy Wonka poster about... right now. What, what did you tell me? Tell me. I'm talking about the little the little kid who goes through uh, into the TV. TV Mike TV. Oh uh, right, Mike TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, because he yeah, tells him. I know. He tells he tells he tells Mike TV. He tells Mike TV he'll be the ter- the same rotten terrible person he was. So he, Willy he Wonka right. saying, "You go through it, you come out the same person. It doesn't change you." See? So no, definitively, wrong. Picard is. <laughs> Uh, real Picard. I'm just saying that this is a transformative moment for Picard and it doesn't get the same weight that like the little piccolo does in, in future seasons. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Piccolo you know? can be deceptively heavy. How many yeah. references do we have to Lucius of Borg but none of them are going to be like, can hey, I? remember when you were brand new and we made you in a transporter room? <laughs> right. Yeah. Out, out of a former signal that we just happened to have in backup. Yeah. And why don't they do this again? That's something that's strange. Oh, it's like they, there was a, this seems like new technology. Another, coming into that solution, do you remember? Data was like, "Well, this has never been done before," um, and I really hope that uh, that Captain Picard has thought of it too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, not only has it never been done before, but Captain Picard, who is not, to my knowledge, a transporter physicist, has has not. Uh, thought of this before because no one has thought of it before but if he thinks of it at the same time I think of it Data the smartest being in the universe this could work then Next this to Wesley. could possibly work <laughs> also Wesley, exactly. also not the first time although it's the first time we've seen it Scotty had already done this to himself and has been stuck in that loop for 75 right. years so oh. he had already done it but nobody knew he had done so, it but he so was still waiting for it. Three people in in seventy five <laughs> years, but also three people in seventy five gazillion years. Yeah, right. Fair. 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 This all makes but sense. But you know now. what? It's odd. Is I kind of liked it, even though it was technobabble. Like it made no sense, um, because it was sci fi. It was like, well, mm-hmm. that's kind of the sci fi stuff. Totally. Like you're trying. But I mean, it. If you were really thinking about it, like if the writer was serious about it, it would have been, oh, this is the basis of our whole show or people trap themselves in little transporter pods so that they have iterations of themselves that they can go back to if something goes wrong. You know, you make a really bad choice. You're like, you know what? I'm going to rematerialize as not asshole me. And we're going to start right. over again. Or you get killed and boom, you come back. We'll like, take out that little. This would be the crux of human civilization is 
you keep a transporter copy of yourself. We bring it back when we need it. Okay, don't worry. Isn't I still oh, say sure, that's been done. I still You're say back. the transporter yeah. though it doesn't work if you don't have we'll call it the heart spark that was out, that was out. <laughs> You know, in the in the with the electrical field, like without the, 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 the had to beam something in without without yeah. maybe we'll call it the all spark. Sure, you know, but that it, <laughs> it gives. Well, but no, they did not beam anything in. Remember? Well, he no, but he no, had, he did. He, he got he in. Did. He got into no, the transporter he, system. Yeah, yeah. He, he he went in like like some tea. Like he he of his own volition found his way into the transporter system. They did not beam him anywhere. Then, then they like hit a go, and he beamed himself out using that thing, right. or whatever. And if you like, remember, didn't, didn't lock on to a signal. Right. He was all was over just, the ship. So weird. He went to yeah. war first because they said, "Oh, just like the first time, he went to war first. With the they P. say that, and then he goes to Jordy's, and then there is the P there. They're like P for uh, Picard, or quick to the transporter room for Perestroika. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, Kate. Can I geek out with you for a second on Please. the the pratfall that Lieutenant Worf has when he is first possessed in oh my gosh. the uh, sensor room with Jordy? First of all, that beautiful scream sneer. It's so yes. it's sort so of a good. it's just uh, Yeah. Just he bears his teeth and roars. Very uh, visceral. Sounds his barbaric yelp. It's amazing. That's what I <laughs> want to do. I want see you guys are talking about lines you want to deliver. I want to do that in a show. <laughs> just do a weird yell with a snarl in my face. And then he, and then just and then just it. down he goes. Yeah, and this this is one of the great pratfalls. Like I could write a sonnet. I could teach this pratfall in class. <laughs> It is fantastic. I'm certain it's not Michael Dorn. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Mr. Dorn. I'm certain that the editing tells me that it was a uh, stunt person, in fact. But when when he gets electrified and then pushed back and spun into just like a classic one foot backfall, like it's it's just it's super safe, super fast. And the only thing I do different is have the camera move a little bit, but like it's a classroom perfect unassisted pratfall. Like props are flying through the air so that you don't look at the face and you can barely tell that it's a different person. The editing is great. Like I could just I I geek out over this one stupid little fall that that lasts about four seconds. So I mean, did you guys notice it in the rewatch, or did it effortlessly go by like it should? Oh, I certainly noticed it, but I also. Uh wanted to ask you about the toss that Worf does after he does a pratfall and, and Jordy calls in the medical emergency uh, security guy comes and Worf wakes up and throws both of them uh, and, and Jordy jumps on top, but he throws that security officer and I had this inclination and I don't know, maybe you can confirm it or not, but I feel like that was the fight sure. captain that day. That guy that gets tossed that was the guy that like did the stunt choreography and maybe uh, you know playing that because he seemed too expert in his falling. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, certainly a st- one of the stunt team. Do you know? I, I I don't know how they work their stunt teams. A lot of times, the coordinator brings in the same uh, kind of team for the same type of role over and over and over again, so they work together closely. So it's going to be someone who knows how to fall. But yeah, I didn't notice in particular like a a super soft expert fall yeah. as he's thrown into. Is this the one who's thrown into kind of the the wall sideways like full body throw? Uh, That's so good. I, I noticed they did a nice job of of putting some things that would that would not stand up straight when hit in his way, so he could break his fall a little bit on his way down. Uh, a yeah. lot of the times they'll they'll choreograph it in such a way that it involves actually throwing someone with like a padded back brace into something that doesn't have any give so that it looks extra violent. I'm like, that doesn't have to look extra violent. He's flying through the air. Let the person fly through the air and hit something that is a little soft. Well, and Jordy, like, uh, you know, gotta love uh, LeVar Burton. He totally like just full on body slams yeah. on top of Worf. That must be the, uh, a fun uh, shoot to do because he's like, you got him. You got him, doctor. You got him down. I'm like, oh yeah, he was, he was into it. Arms and elbows in their right place. Knees and toes. Arms, elbows, knees and toes. (laughs) Knees and toes. Um, Oh, that's wonderful. All right, who has anything else to jump in with here before I... Uh, Well, on the warp fall, when it happened, I was like, oh, (laughs) 
here we are again. The strongest guy is the first one to take a fall. I was like, oh, but then it occurred to me. It was like, well, maybe, maybe Worf gets his ass kicked first. As an indication to us, it's like, okay, if Worf is getting his ass kicked, this is for real. Like, whoever we're dealing with is a big deal, and they can kick some ass because Worf just got put on his ass. So this is for real. I, I will I say think so. that while I, I do have something of a combative nature from time to time, I have been bodily assaulted by strangers more often than you would think simply because <laughs> of my size <laughs> like some people just want to make something big fall down so maybe that's what star trek is all about <laughs> trying to make the big wharf go down <laughs> trying and to then, make the big wharf fall down and then following on the wharf thing i love absolutely love and speaking of lines you'd love to say i love when wharf goes to the sick bay and Crusher says, we're still trying to figure out how you lost your memory. And without cracking a smile or trying to be funny, he says, I still don't remember having one. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> she has a really funny Absolutely. line. <laughs> he gets There's, the best one-liners. There are a few things like that where it's, you know, there's a moment where they're talking to Data and as they leave and they say it's a mystery and they've explained the whole private eye thing to him as he gets the idea to approach it like actual Sherlock Holmes they give him one of those Scooby head tilts as the camera comes in (laughs) and I'm like you have to do that like that's one of the first really clear examples of that genre in Star Trek of the the camera swooping in as Data makes a realization and tilts his head and then cut like perfect yeah And then one thing about the special effects, some really lovely special effects, especially with a very small but brilliantly done stars that go streaming by the starship. And that today you see like you can do that in in iMovie. Um, But back then that was brand new. Um, And then the shot where they're all in the uh, the ready room the conference room and it's shot from outside. Mm. So they do the outside shot in. I mean, these were things that they just couldn't do in the original series. They didn't have the ability. And it's amazing that they could make space travel look real, but they couldn't make the Antikins look real. (laughs) 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 Yeah, not quite yet. That's a season five. And speaking of the, uh, uh, what's it call it? The, the, um, the Satay, Badar NDD, I don't know how it's pronounced, but that's his character's name, is Mark Alamo, who would become a, uh, uh, what is it, a Gold Ducat. Guy, Gold Ducat. Yeah, Gold yeah. Ducat in DS9. So you oh. couldn't see him at all through the snake stuff, but he no. becomes a very uh, important character in Star Trek canon. Uh, Absolutely. A and little bit later. The oh, other the other main guest star alien becomes another Cardassian as well. Not not quite as high. Oh, I didn't know that. Ducat, but I can't remember who it Oh, is. yeah, no. He was, uh, um, I didn't know he was a Cardassian, but there's one where he played a different species that has like the, uh, I saw a picture on his IMDb. It was, it was like a little holes oh, up it? and down. So it's a different race. It's somewhat similar looking to him, but it, and it's like a, they're miners. Because of course, every planet has one thing they do. And their planet, they mine. Right. They're, they, that's what they're into. They just, just like here on stuff. Earth. All we do is yeah. mine memes <laughs> at the meme factory. <laughs> we have one thing. We have one yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, Kate, I, there was one other moment that I noticed that I wanted to talk to you about because I know you're you're very into uh, Captain Picard as a as a snack. Um, <laughs> so tasty. Do you do you read anything into it being uh, Beverly who who comes just right out with it and says, "Are you Jean Luc? You know who are you?" Everybody else is kind of yes, uh, I do dancing around, and then she comes right out. Well, I, there is that there is that beautiful moment. So, so when Riker and uh, and Crusher come in and basically get dressed down, and they take right. off, you know, to go do the medical test, and then she comes uh-huh. back and just won't take no for an answer. And, and you're right, like comes out with it. And there is something I think to it being only her in the room when that occurs. Mm-hmm. And I do think it has something to do with whatever Picard was there. She's the one that he's going to confide in. She's the one that he's going to 
to, to touch base with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And she and, was also possessed as well, too, by this entity. Yes. So there might be... Right. Uh, right. I, I thought of that connection, too. He has a great... Uh, Picard is a great, uh, I know you are, but one of my moment when they do address him, like, hey, we think you're possessed and you could be in danger. He goes, well, I think you're possessed and I think you're in danger. So you should leave. (laughs) It's like, okay. I think this whole court is in contempt. (laughs) (laughs) The other wonderful physical moment that I I think of is early on when he first takes the bridge as as this newly possessed captain. Yes. And he gives them, he's going to give them the direction to go back to where the cloud was. When he gets out of that chair, he like flips up like a circus clown. Yes. He he brings himself up on both hands like a pommel horse, kicks a leg, kicks another leg, and then he's standing. Right. But he does it very subtly. You know, it's like that Martha Graham, Martha Graham, but inside. Right. Show it. It's it's really incredible. I love that too. And it, and it's brilliantly acted by um by um Patrick Stewart. But like I was saying earlier, as soon as Picard jumps up like that, everybody on the bridge goes, Okay, that's not Picard. We have yeah, an alien yeah. on board. They jump mm-hmm. right He's to possessed, it. there's space dust, there's something happening. We've seen it before. <laughs> this is not him. Put him in chains right now. What do you think, Kate? Well, there's just also after he gets up so jauntily, he then tries to make it sound really casual, the coordinates. He's like, well, right. let's go back to let's go to oh, I don't know. And just sort of casually names right. off the coordinates. And he throws in seven. He's like, let's go to four, three, seven, five. Seven. Seven. <laughs> Why not? I'll, I'll throw in another one just so it's not suspicious. I mean, I love any writer or actor that can make the choice that the villain is often just like not all that smart, not all that uh you know, resourceful, not all that energetic even, sometimes lazy but they can still succeed and and get a very long way in their in their lazy little plan just by sheer force of shamelessness and that's what this this guy is like he's he's uh, he's Dr. Crusher going up to the steering you know to navigation going um hypothetical <laughs> if i wanted to take over the ship say um How'd I do that? (laughs) They kind of of give her, they say, go ask that guy. She goes, that's the one to ask. And and that's that's kind of the shamelessness of this plot. And it kind of works because they have no reason not to trust her. Because then she's so not subtle about it. And Data even looks over and says, I don't know why you're looking that up. That has nothing to do with it. Then everything goes wrong. Right. And their first thought yeah. is not immediately right. that she had something to do with it. It was the computer. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's right. incredible. All these things happening at once, completely unrelated. Especially after but all they've been through. Of course. Wait, wait, wait. Guys, isn't there a meat eater on board? They're like, yeah. Oh, my God. Meat eater. It's probably the meat eater did it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. No, it's like that line in uh, uh, when when uh, Doctor Crusher is with Wesley, and and he's like, "Well, what does this have to do with navigation?" And he's like, "No, this is engineering, not navigation." And she has that stupid line <laughs> that is totally a writer writery line that is like, "Oh, right, navigation yeah. is on the bridge. <laughs> I need to go there. That's where the plot is going to go next." Uh, and it seems like such a non sequitur. But I wanted to ask, like, can we talk a little bit about the sweater choice by Wesley in this? Uh, yeah. That- so I had it in, in my, my notes. <laughs> it had to be. It's, they had. He had this, this lovely tangerine. peasant blouse sweater. It and it's so just big. a lovely, just tangerine, and it's so mm-hmm. it's warm and look like herringbone, maybe on the sleeves. <laughs> and and he talks the, the floral pattern. He talked in one of his blog posts from about a million years ago about being taken as a young man to see someone who did his colors for him yes, and was basically told he was an autumn. And so that's why he's in all of those like browns and forest greens and oranges. And it it broke his heart that he was an autumn. He thought he was a spring. (laughs) And and he talks about the fact that it was the, you know, late eighties and all he wanted was neon and they're putting him in all these, you know, forest tones. 
Uh, <laughs> but also Beverly later, when after she is better, she wears a dress that is straight up a sexy snuggie, and I am so all for it. <laughs> uh, it is like the most, like, it's got a little slit up the middle, but it's like made of sweatshirt material, and it's like... And does, does it have like wizard sleeves like a snuggie does? It does kind like... of have wizard... I'm all about it. And him in his little awesome. orange sweater. Oh. They are the epitome of COVID fashion. Yes. So, so snuggly. <laughs> um, I think we need to talk a little bit about, um, I'm sorry, where are we? About, about Mr. Singh. Yes. yes. The, the unfortunate, the unfortunate end of Mr. Singh. First, who... first one killed. First yeah. character killed on uh, TNG and the first um, Indian actor. No, there was a there was someone who killed in Farpoint, right? Remember one of the doesn't Q like, doesn't Q like freeze to death? One of the we don't know that they're dead because oh, other like, characters were frozen right. who came back, right? They they did they did like to use that freeze effect, but the first one anyway that was a, of of a big name and guest star status. Yes, well, uh, and I, it was just as we were getting to know him. Yeah, they they full on did the the. Tug on your heartstrings. Here's here's an actor. We'll let you get to know him just a little bit. He's dead, and we'll never talk about him again. He will be ever he once. will be playing drums in this band uh, for the next thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he's because what's his what's his is he what's engineer his official title engine is he the engineer assistant he's, he is assistant, assistant. yes yeah. <clears throat> They did. That's right, because we still have Chief Engineer Argyle. Scotland McScotland Man. Yes, yes. Argyle, who gets name checked in this episode. They do like, did you check this with Argyle? And he's like, oh yes, with everyone. But yeah. And um, from my little book by uh, Larry Nimisic, one of the odd notes here is directly related to our friend uh, Mr. Singh, who is played by Kavi Raz, and he says that there was a scene. Uh, where Singh could be seen in the background, and they had to reshot, reshoot it, but he wasn't available, so they put a wig on a chair and reshot it. And after oh. I read this, I went back. I can't find the scene. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell any scene where it looks no, like there's a, it a, a chair it. with a wig. <laughs> You're like, I don't care that they they treated a man like a chair. Right. Well, I, I'm getting very psycho vibes from this whole thing. <laughs> you know, we only see it, the chair from the back. <laughs> at some point, they turn it around, and it's just, you know. It's been Argyle the whole time. I also wanted to bring up the one little interaction between Data and Riker, where Data gives the long explanation of the physics behind the whole thing and the reason why all these things have been going wrong. And then Riker just sums it up with the TLDR. We have a saboteur. And Data says, I believe I said that. It's, <laughs> it's, I mean, that 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 gag has been happening since at least the Greeks, I'm sure before that. Like, yeah, look at the geek over here. And he's, uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's great. Like, I believe I said that is not the easiest of punchlines to pull off, and the dude does a great job. I wanted to bring that one up because he does it so innocently. Uh, he's not even trying to. He's not even mad about it. He's just being like, "Yeah, that's, that's that's what I said, isn't it?" No, nope. no. Nope? Yeah, oh. matter of fact, just like uh, just like an android should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Just like any comedian should, android or not. <laughs> One final thing about Data's performance in this is uh, uh, he uses the word indubitably. A lot. Uh, a lot, right? At least twice in this episode, I think. Twice right. in one the, one sentence when at the very end of the cart is, uh, is that, is that uh, Holmes? He goes, indubitably, Captain. Indubitably. Indubitably. And I, and I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's, I have a strong memory of a commercial played around this time involved uh it was a for a breakfast cereal and they were anthropomorphic like letters on the breakfast cereal and indubitably Sorry. is like part of the song that's being said like indubitably indubitably and and for some reason this episode and that are combined in my head and i will never mm -hmm. be able to separate them ever again and that's how greg passed the sats that's right I learned my 50 cents words from commercials. 
I, I thought that for myself, this was the first episode as I rewatched it that I could get fully invested in the same way that I think I probably was when it first came on. I don't know if it's because I was in the right mood or if it's a stronger episode, but I know they didn't like it when it first came out. Like, the reviews were not kind. I found it to be fun. Uh, what, what was your overall take on this, Greg? I enjoyed it. I thought the combination of the of the simple plots into one episode and you know 42 minutes they did a pretty good job of keeping me entertained and uh keeping it going despite the overall simplicity of what's what's going on well warp one to nine what do you what do you got i'm gonna give it a warp uh six all right what about you jimmy uh i'm gonna give it a warp three and it's all Woo! due to the very end scene. I mean, you, you can't have a good show if you have a bad ending. And the ending is so bad that uh, whatever happens before doesn't hold up. All right, that's fair enough. Definitive, Kate, yeah. We got, a th- we got a three and a six here. Yeah. Where are you going to land on this episode? Uh, I think the last episode for me was where it, the, the first, the last out- outpost that really hit me sort of as, as, as you were talking about, Eric, this episode struck you. I'm going to give this one mm. a nice, uh, I'll give it a 6.5. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I-, I enjoy it, uh, but not, not as much as, um, as last where, outpost. Where, was it last Dr- outpost Drew or where in. none no. has gone before? No oh, no, that's before. sorry. Where, where no one has gone before. Oh, yeah, last outpost. Oh, I fair remember. enough. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yes, you know how much I love those springs. You love the laser whips. I love those laser, laser whips. Sorry, yes, <laughs> this is lips. not straight. Wazer whips. I love laser whips. Laser <laughs> lips. Sorry, yes, our last episode where no one has gone before. I give up. I give uh, up. Well, I like that. I think the, the 6.5 has a very... Um, uh, showcase showdown kind of feeling, you know. He, uh, Kate <laughs> might win if if the answer is just slightly above uh, 6.5. Uh, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a warp eight on this one. I thought this was the first one that was really humming. I'm sure we've got an, a, uh, nice. a one that will pass it by very soon. But this was one that uh, I don't think you can keep up the the quality this early this soon for very long. So it gets the coveted eight from me. And uh, I really enjoyed talking about this one with you guys. I Me too. Look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about justice next, right? Justice is next. Oh, I can't wait. I hope you all will join us at, uh, I don't know, let's call it uh, impulse speed. And uh, <laughs> we'll get together with you next time. Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is me at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or she's Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. All right. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage.